If you want to open up your Bibles to John 17 again, that would be great. I know I said last week that was our last sermon in John 17, but then as I was, as I was praying this week and um, asking the Lord what He wanted me to speak on today, um, I felt like He directed me back to John 17 again. So now this thing's turning into a bit of a series, and I wasn't quite planning it. Um, but I want to go back to John 17, and I want to hone in once again on the verse that I've been honing in for the previous two um, sermons, and um, and uh, yeah, and see what God has to say to us this morning. So I'll give you a bit of time to open up to there, and um, I'll be reading from the English, not the English Standard Version, I haven't preached from that for a very long time. I'll be preaching from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, um, so if you're wondering what translation we're using, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, but if you don't have your Bible here, you can follow up on um, up on this up on the screen. So John 17, reading specifically from verse 22 through to verse 23, just two verses. As I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Father, we just ask that you would speak to us right now. We thank you that your spirit is already here. We thank you that you uh, have already been ministering to our hearts, that you've already been working. And just right now, we just ask you, Lord, that specifically you would just speak to us um, through your word this morning, Lord, whether it's just one sentence, whether it's a new concept, whether it's a renewing of our mind, uh, whatever it might be, Lord, we want to receive from you. We want to eat from your hand this morning. And so we just open up our hearts to you. And we ask that you would have your way, you'd build your church in Jesus' mighty name. We pray and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Awesome. So we've, we know about John 17 so far, that Jesus is with his disciples the evening before his crucifixion. So it's the night of his betrayal. He's giving them some final instructions, final message, final um, information, really important things for them to know moving forward. And um, as a part of this like final moment with his disciples, as a part of this final meal, he prays this prayer known as the high priestly prayer. In the first part of John 17, he prays specifically for the disciples that are sitting right in front of him. And in the second part of John 17, he starts praying for everyone that will eventually believe through their testimony, which is us. Hooray. Um, and so um, there's just so much in this, in this prayer of Jesus for us to unpack and for us to, to dive really deep into. It's just such a beautiful prayer. But some of the things that we've seen over the last um, two sermons that I've looked at this is that firstly that the Father, or that Jesus came to reveal the Father to us and that He is the perfect revelation of what the Father is like. That's the first thing that we saw. The second thing that we saw is that Jesus is the pre, um, oh, we've seen it, sorry, let me rephrase that. The preeminent revelation that Jesus came to give us about the Father is that the Father loves us the way that the Father loves the Son. So that's this, this incredible part of verse 23 where Jesus says that he wants the world to know that the Father loves the world the same way that the Father loves Jesus. So this is this really preeminent revelation that he wanted to make sure we, we, um, we understand. He, he came to make that known to us. Um, and then we saw that knowing this love from the Father, knowing how much he loves us, changes absolutely everything. And so we had a look at some of the main things that Jesus mentions here in this passage and just how radically transforms our lives and transforms our community when we know just how much the Father loves us. And so um, that's what we've, what we've seen in the last two sermons. If you missed those, let me encourage you, go jump online, jump on Spotify, check it out on YouTube. Um, you can go and, and listen to the sermon, or at least the last sermon I think is up 
um, and that should give you a recap on that. But this morning, as we, as we start off, um, I really want to spend some time, um, well, not really just in the start, but for the whole sermon, focus in on just how much the Father actually does love us. If, if this is the one big thing that Jesus says He like, preeminently came to reveal to us, um, then it's worth spending a bit of time meditating on that, isn't it? Like, it's worth taking a bit of time thinking about that Jesus says, you know, this is the chief thing that I came to display to you. That's not something that we should just brush over. We should spend some time really sitting there and letting the Spirit do whatever work He wants to do in our hearts. And so I start this by um, asking you the question whether uh, you know that the Father loves you. Really simple question, but I want to ask you, do you know that the Father loves you specifically, individually? Do you know that He enjoys you? doesn't just love you, but He actually enjoys you. Do you know that He delights in you? He doesn't just love you because of what you can do for Him. He doesn't just love you because of how much you honor Him. He doesn't even love you for His own glory. That's something that we say from time to time in Christian circles as well. That's not, that's not even true either. Because His glory is the revelation that He is selfless love. So that's a contradictory statement. The Father simply loves you for you. The Father simply adores you for you. The Father simply delights in you for you. And there's, there's no strings attached. There's no but and that you have to add on to the back of that. He actually just loves you, adores you, delights in you for you. And we know that because that's exactly the way that the Father loves Jesus. The Father doesn't love Jesus because of what Jesus can do for him. Now, it's not like the Father looked into the future, you know, in eternity past. He goes, you know, one day my son is going to go to earth and he's going to obey me perfectly and he's going to willingly go and die upon a cross and then he's going to rise again from the dead. And because of that, I love him. That's, that's not what was going on. The Father didn't love Jesus because of what he can do for him. He just loves Jesus because he loves Jesus. The Father doesn't love Jesus because of how much Jesus honors him. The Father doesn't love Jesus for his own glory. The Father simply loves Jesus unconditionally. And he's done it for all eternity. He's doing it right now, and he will do it for all eternity. And that is the exact love that Jesus tells us the Father has towards us. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Now, what I want to do is just go to Psalm 139. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 18. And I want to just read it through slowly. And I want you to let all of these words sink in. This is an incredibly beautiful psalm that gives us just a bit of a snapshot into how the Father feels towards us and what He thinks about us and what's going on in His heart as He looks upon us. So Psalm 139, and I encourage you just, if you, even as we're reading through this right now, you know, if you've got a pen handy or a pencil handy or your phone handy, if there's like a verse that just jumps out at you, that the Spirit really speaks to you, take time 
to take note of that because um, that's God trying to tell you something, to minister to your heart here this morning. Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, I am still with you. So did some of that speak to you? Some of the things that really jump out to me is where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And he goes on to say, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold on to me. I can't run away from him. <laughs> and not in the sense, you know, like a bad guy tries to run away from a cop. That's not what's going on here. This is like a lovesick lover pursuing the one he loves. Like this is a father running after his son. This is a groom going after his bride. And he says, like, doesn't matter where you go or where you try to hide, or what you try to cover yourself with, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to love you. Even there, like, doesn't matter where I go, even if I go to, to Sheol, the place of the dead, even there, your hand's going to be on me. This father standing with his son, just placing his loving hand on his head, that's the picture there. Love verse 17, it's another one that stood out to me. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. The good thoughts that he has about you. You know, the thoughts about, man, I love their personality. I love the way they do this particular thing. I love the way that they think in this particular way. I love how they make things. I love how they build things. The amount of thoughts that God has about you individually outnumber the grains of sand that are on the seashore. You couldn't even count the amount of like, grains of sand that are in your hand when you pick up, pick up in your hand. And then he says, out of all the shores on, on all the earth, God has more precious thoughts towards you than the grains of sand on all those shores. 
the nature of the Father's love for us. He loves you for you. Now, for some people, this is really hard to receive. I think for all of us, really, I should rephrase that. This is really hard to receive, but for different reasons. I think one of the main reasons, though, that people struggle to receive the Father's love is because we just feel unworthy of it. Um, we feel like we don't deserve His love. Now, if we're talking about you, like needing to obey God and, and, and um, earn His favor, well, in that sense, of course, you're unworthy of His favor because none of us deserve to earn God's favor up upon our lives. So we can talk like that and say, God, I'm unworthy. God, I'm, I'm, I'm undeserving. But if we're simply talking about you being a human being, <laughs> and if we're simply talking about you being a child of God, which the Bible talks about that in a sense about every single human being that has been created, then of course you're worthy of the love of God because there's such indescribable worth to you. You're worthy of His love because there is such incredible worth in you. He created you to be His image bearer. God Almighty has decided that you will reflect Him in all the earth. He loves you because you're His creature. God loves all of His creatures. He loves the sparrow. He cares for the ox. All these creatures mean so much to Him. He loves you specifically because of your uniqueness. But for many of us, we struggle to receive that love from the Father because we just feel so unworthy of it. You might think to yourself, people don't like me. My parents don't like me. I don't even like myself. So why in the world is the creator of the universe going to like me? Now, you, you think about your experience so far, however many years you've been on the earth, you think, based on my experience thus far, and how little love I have received, maybe, or how comfortable I feel in my own skin. It makes no sense that the creator of the universe would care so much about me. Maybe you grew up in an abusive home with a father that just destroyed you with the words that he spoke. Maybe you were bullied in your teenage years. Maybe you had parents that expected you to perform before they would show you love and affection. You know, you had to get a certain mark on your report card, or you had to come home with a certain trophy. And those were almost the only times that you can remember feeling love and affection from, from your parents. Maybe your parents were distant in the way that they related to you. So, it's not that they didn't love you, it's just that they never showed it. Maybe they didn't know how to show it. Maybe you were abandoned by your parents. Maybe you had one of your parents decide that they didn't want to be involved in your life and left it up to the other parent to raise you and take care of you. These sorts of experiences in our lives perfect, uh, um, affect our sense of self-worth in massive ways, in massive, massive ways. There are very few people that come through experiences like that being entirely untouched and, and, and unaffected. And so we go through life, we experience things like that, and it shapes our perspective of ourselves. 
And when our perspective of, of ourselves gets shaped in that way, it hinders us from being able to, to accept God and the way that He looks at us and the way that He feels about us. It's almost like these experiences have created a, a pathway um, in your heart and, 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 and in your mind. And anything other that doesn't line up with that little pathway is just blocked and it, and it isn't accepted. So you've got this little pathway of saying, okay, I'm worthless, I, I don't have value, I'm not going to be cared for, I, I'm going to be neglected. These are the sorts of pathways that have been created. And then anything that comes into your heart or mind that's not consistent with those things that you already believe, it just gets blocked. You don't, you don't think that's true about yourself. You know, I've seen men and women in the later stages of their lives, you know, in the 70s and in the 80s, still sobbing and breaking down in tears because of their lack of sense of worth on account of things that they experienced when they were seven and when they were eight. Decades long, carrying that perspective of themselves because of things that took place in their formative years. And so receiving God's love can be a real, real problem for, for many of us. You know, it can, it can really happen to any person. You know, quite often we think, you know, it's, you know, that it's the real broken in our midst that are the ones that have this problem. Well, that's, that's just not, not true. You know, the successful businessman can be just as internally broken as the alcoholic whose life is falling to pieces. And the, the popular kid who everyone celebrates can be just as internally broken as the depressed teenage girl who's, who's cutting her wrists. And the stay-at-home mom who's doing a wonderful job at raising her kids can be just as internally broken as the workplace bully who everyone fears. You can't judge these things just by looking on from the, from the outside. Because the alcoholic might be trying to numb his lack of self-worth, yeah, by, by drinking. He's trying to numb the pain of feeling like he doesn't have worth. And so he goes back to the bottle day after day, night after night. Just anything to help him forget about what he feels about himself. But the successful business person tries to overcome his lack of self-worth by finding a sense of worth in the success of his business or in his wealth or in his accomplishments. So he feels a lack of self-worth. He goes, you know, what? I'm going to go find worth by being successful in the business world. Got the same root problem, they're just trying to deal with it in a different way. The stay-at-home mom, who's doing an incredible job raising her kids, could actually be doing that and pouring herself into her in that way because she's decided, I will do absolutely everything that I possibly can do to not be the type of parent that my parents were to me. They feel this lack of worth. And then they're acting out of that with me, like, I'm just going to be different. I'm just going to be different. And they're just striving and striving and striving and striving. The workplace bully does what he does because he actually feels insecure. If he could just make other people feel to him like they're smaller than what he is, it somehow makes him feel like there's some sort of worth in his life. And so you see, you, you can't just look at people here in the room and say, well, that person looks like they've got it all put together. I'm sure they've got no issue receiving the love of God. It doesn't work like that. People will 
wrestle with these things internally and then just medicate in all sorts of different ways. So to give you an illustration, now when it comes to, you know, if you have a headache, you know, there might be some of you here in the room that are like, just like dead set, I, I pop a Panadol the moment that I feel like I've got a headache. And there are others of you here in the room who's like, no, 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 what you've got to do is get into a dark room and take some deep breaths and just become more aware of your surroundings and no need to go pop medicine, like just go and rest and relax a little bit, it's going to make the headache go away. There might be some of you here that have like all sorts of herbal methods, you know, chewing on leaves and stuff like that. Like, but you're just, you're all trying to deal with the same problem, right? You've got a headache and you've got a different theory for how to best medicate your headache to make the pain go away. It's exactly what people are doing in society all over the place. And one of the deepest needs that people have is the fact that they don't feel loved. They don't feel like they have worth. And so they go about trying to do whatever they possibly can to make themselves either forget that pain or to try and heal that pain by finding worth in something else. Now, of course, it's not the case for every single person that's struggling to receive the love of God, but that is a very common problem. And so, the question I want to ask you now is, are you allowing your perspective of yourself to limit your experience of the Father's love? Are you allowing your perspective of yourself to limit your experience of the Father's love? like this love that he has for you is just too good to be true. So you don't embrace it. You don't live in it. You don't soak in it. You don't let it change the way that you act from day to day. The second question I want to ask is why don't you open up your heart to the Father and let him show you how much he loves you? Because I know I said before, it's like the experiences that we have in life create these pathways for us. So the neglect, the abuse, the need for you to perform, they create these pathways. And that hinders you from experiencing the love of God. But you know what happens when you open up your heart to God and you say, God, come and redefine my pathways. Like come and, come and rewrite the ways that I think and the ways that I feel about myself. That simple, basic act of opening up your heart to the love of the Father in that way enters in, and guess what? It changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. From the inside out, God radically transforms us. So why not open up your heart to Him? In Psalm 65, verse 5 to verse 6, it says that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, and he leads out the prisoners with singing. The father to the fatherless, the defender of the widows, he sets lonely in families, and he leads out prisoners with singing. So God wants to be a father to you. Like, yeah, I know that. No, no. God wants to be a father to you. Like a real dad. 
No, a real papa. He wants to be that to you. That's, that is the longing of his heart. As much as he dwells, he says, in, in his holy dwelling, he wants to be your defender. He wants to be there for you through the ups and through the downs, through the mystery, through the questioning, through the loss. He wants to be there through all of that as a loving father would want to. And so this morning, it's the first thing I want to do. I want to just encourage you just to open up your heart to him so that he can pour into your heart the revelation of just how much he loves you as your father. Let him rewrite the story of your life. Now, there might be another hang-up that is quite common amongst us, and that is the hang-up of our sin. So, TNS, okay, God loves me, but the Bible also talks about my sin and how much of a problem that is to God. After all, He's, he's a holy God, and we aren't holy, and He's perfect, and we're imperfect. And Isn't it true that the Bible says that we are offensive in the sight of God and that our sin causes Him to, to turn His face away from us? And what about these things, Tennis? Well, in response to that, I'd like to ask you to ask yourself the question again. What does it look like for a perfect father to be offended by sin? What does it look like for a being of infinite love to be upset about sin? What does it look like for a person of boundless compassion and boundless patience and boundless kindness to look upon our sinfulness? What does it look like? Well, I can tell you this much. It doesn't look the same as what it looks like with a fallen parent. It doesn't look the same. For so many of us, we have allowed our experiences of our parents or even allowed the way that we have fallen in our own parenting to shape the way that we think the Father responds to us in our shortfallings. So, you know, you do something wrong and you just imagine that God's in a bad mood. He's in a bad mood and I can't come and talk to Him at least for the next couple of hours, the next couple of days. I've, I've offended Him. Got to give him some time just to, to, to calm down. Maybe that was your experience with your dad. You knew that if you did something wrong, the best thing to do in that moment is run. Get out of the house and stay out of the house until just before dinner, then come home again. Maybe you yourself as a parent, you know you're quick-tempered. Oh. You, you really easily just fly off the handle. And so you imagine that, well, if that's what I am like, surely that's what He is like towards me. But that's not true. He doesn't parent the way that broken, fallen parents parent. He is a being of boundless compassion, boundless patience, boundless kindness, infinite love, and He will always respond to you, even in your sin, in a way that is consistent with His character. So that doesn't mean that He likes sin. 
but He loves you. And that's what makes all the difference here. And we can see this so clearly in the life of Jesus. So like we said before, Jesus showed us the perfect revelation of what the Father is like. So if you want to know how the Father responds to your sin, you look at how Jesus responds to sinners. So what do we see in the life of Jesus? Jesus partied with tax collectors and sinners. So what does that tell us? It tells us that no matter how deep we are in sin, the Father wants to be involved in our lives even while we're in the sin. Do you get that? Those prostitutes that Jesus was spending time with were still living as prostitutes. The tax collectors that were busy thieving money from their fellow Jews were still thieving money from their fellow Jews. And what was Jesus doing? Spending time with them. Just loving on them in their mess. And so then what does that mean about the Father and the way that He looks at us? It means that even while we are in our sin, as horrible as that sin might be, the Father actually still wants to be intimately involved in our lives. Our sin doesn't make Him run away. His goodness and His mercy still pursue us. What else do we see in the life of Jesus? We see that Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. So that means that no matter how deep you are in sin, the Father is willing to pursue you no matter how far gone you are. He's willing to leave the 99 to go and find the one no matter how far gone. Jesus told the parable or the story of the prodigal son, which shows us that no matter how deep you are in your sin, the longing of his heart is still to embrace you and bless you once again. What's so incredible about that story about the prodigal son is the father, after his son went and lived a debaucherous life, wasted his inheritance, finally decides to go back home. It says that the father was sitting there waiting, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. And then without even having to think about it, the father, when he spots his son, jumps up, runs over to him, embraces him, and blesses him as though he'd never left, as though he'd never done anything wrong. So if that's what Jesus tells us the father is like, it means that every single time you and I mess up in our sin, our father in heaven does not need to go cool off in his bedroom a little bit before he's willing to see us. It means that he is just waiting for us to turn our eyes back to him. He's just waiting for us to draw near so that he can embrace us once again and say, you made a bad decision walking away from me for a moment there, but hey, I still love you. Hey, let's, let's get back to doing what we were doing before. Let's get back to having fun with one another. Let's get back to enjoying one another. Let's get back to delighting in each other. He doesn't even need to think about it. It's just who he is, and he can't act in a way that's inconsistent with who he is. We see that Jesus wept over the hardness of Jerusalem. So that tells us that no matter, no matter how much the Father has to discipline us, he never delights in the discipline. 
He doesn't delight in having to give us over to discipline. Every single time we have to be disciplined by him and experience hardship, he weeps over us having to experience that. When Jesus was looking over Jerusalem and its hard-heartedness, he'd, he'd come as the Messiah, he'd come as the promised one of these people, the one that they were all looking forward to. He was in their midst, and they did not perceive him as the Messiah. He said, I long to gather you in the exact same way that a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not receive me. And he talks about this judgment that they're going to have to experience on account of that, and he weeps over it. Doesn't rejoice in it, doesn't celebrate it, doesn't feel good about himself, like, yeah, I'm a real man. Fallen fathers tend to act like that. Instead, he weeps over it. And I believe God will be the exact same in the final judgment. Every person on the final judgment that will not be welcomed into glory, God is not going to delight in that. I believe he will have a broken heart for all eternity over every individual soul that missed out on being welcomed in. Because that's what love would do. That's what a loving father would do. And of course, Jesus, above it all, demonstrated the incredible heart of the father when he died on the cross, which showed us that no matter how deep we are in sin, the father is willing to take on all our pain, all our hurt, all of our sin, all of our judgment, all of it upon himself, if only he could reconcile us. It's the ultimate demonstration of just how much he loves us. That he wasn't willing to let anything stop him, no matter how much it hurt, in order to make us his own. So what about our sin? Of course our sin upsets him, but you've got to keep that in perspective of who he is. And knowing that sets us free to love him more. Because as long as you're trying to conquer your sin and think that you're doing it on your own, as long as you're trying to, to transform yourself by thinking that your father's not helping and you've got to do this so you can get his favor once again, you're going to be stuck. You're not making any progress. What makes the difference with you at the end of the day becoming more like God is you knowing His love, even in your mess, even in your sin. Romans 5 verse 6 to verse 8 says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what about our sin? Well, his love is unconditional, and so it doesn't make a difference to his love. And so as we think about this, we have to know that our Heavenly Father is so much better than anything we have ever experienced here on earth before. And if you don't let that revelation change the way that you think and change the way that you feel and change what's going on in your heart, you're going to keep on living in the same patterns. He is so much better. So in Matthew 7, 
Jesus talks about how, um, how we need to consider the lilies of the field, and we need, to con- we need to consider the sparrows. And he says, just think about this for a moment. Think about how God cares for the lily, and think about how God cares for the sparrow. Think about how he provides for us. It's for this reason, you don't need to be anxious. If he cares this much, you know, for the lily and for the sparrow, how much more is he going to care for you? Then he goes on to talk about how as, um, as fathers, you see, you know, if, if, if evil fathers are willing to give good gifts to their children, he says, how much more so will your father in heaven be willing to give a good gift to you? So that if you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. And if you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. How much more so will your Father in heaven be willing to bless you? So I want you to remember this that phrase for a moment, how much more. Verse 11 says, if you who are evil know how to give good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's a phrase I want you to take away from here today. How much more? How much more? Even the best experience of a father that we can have here on the earth, even the best experience of a mother, even the best experience of a, of a friend, how much more so does your father in heaven love you and care for you and desire to bless you? I just want to apply this for you in a few specific ways. The first is that the father thinks you are amazing. He is extremely proud of you. Every time he thinks about you, his heart warms up. He cannot believe that he gets to call you his son and his daughter. He actually thinks that you are amazing. Now, I could imagine the father sitting on his throne in heaven and um, talking to the angels and pointing you out. Like, did you, did you see that? Did you watch that? Having conversations with them and telling like, man, I love this about them. You know, I think God would be that, that type of dad, you know, that's pulling out his iPhone all the time and showing pictures of his kids. That's, that's what I think he's like, you know. I think, I think he's probably following you around with his iPhone. Taking videos, taking pictures, storing them up, going back and looking over them. Every time he's in the social setting, he pulls them out. He talks about the things that you've accomplished. Did you know they've done this? Did you know they finished this certificate? Did you know they lost the race, but they tried really hard? So proud of them. If an earthly father is like that about his kids, how much more so your father in heaven? The Father loves all the details about how He has made you. Your face, your hair, your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your nose, every single part of you. He loves it. You might not love it all that much. Thinking I could do with a few changes around here and around there. Maybe there was some error in the sculpting process, like he, unfortunately I'm the piece of clay that got dropped, and he just didn't have time to fix it up before he sent it out. That's not what Psalm 139 tells us, it says that he intricately weaved you together in your mother's womb, and you have been wonderfully made by him. 
way that I imagine that is if, for those of you that have ex- experienced the birth of a newborn and that moment where the baby is taken from the nurses and placed on the mother's breast and the mother looks down and it is just, I saw it with Jesse every single time. It's like Jesse looking at a baby and that baby is just the most beautiful thing that she's ever seen. I think that's the way God looks at us all the time. If an earthly mother or father think their kids are amazing, how much more so a father in heaven? The father loves the uniqueness of your personality and your idiosyncrasies. So you love organizing things. Or maybe you're more a free-spirited type. You love being with people. You love spending time by yourself. You love thinking about deep things. You love keeping things super practical. God loves what makes you, you. If you're not a deep thinker, don't feel bad about that. God loves the fact that He made you being super practical. You know, if you love spending time with people all the time, don't feel bad about that. God loves the fact that He made you just like that. Your idiosyncrasies, maybe you snort when you laugh. He enjoys it. Maybe you don't like, you know, your different types of food touching each other on your plate. Other people scoff at it and God's like, man, that is just the funniest thing. That is awesome. You lisp when you speak. You sleep cuddling a pillow. You do all sorts of weird things. We all have strange idiosyncrasies. And just like we do as parents, we look at our kids' idiosyncrasies and we think they're cute. And we, we enjoy them for it. You know, Hazel walks around skipping like this all the time. And I'm always just like, this is the cutest thing ever. We look at this stuff and we find fault in ourselves. We go, oh, well, man, I do this weird thing, I do this weird thing, and this is odd, and why am I like this? Maybe you should change your perspective to see how the Father looks at these things about you. We all have them. We all have a couple of screws loose somewhere in our lives. So if earthly parents love like that, how much more so the Father in heaven? This part changed my life, this next point. And that is that the Father loves the things that you love. I thought for a very long time that the Father only loves me when I'm evangelizing and when I'm discipling and when I'm doing the stuff of the Great Commission. You know, when, that's the only real time He's going to be showing significant interest in what I'm doing because that's His stuff. You know, I've got to be doing His stuff if I want Him to be interested in the stuff that I'm doing. His stuff is changing lives. His stuff is saving the world. So I've got to be doing that stuff for Him to be interested. But that's just not what He's like. The Father loves your hobbies. The Father loves you hanging out with your friends. The Father loves you going for walks on the beach. He loves you holidaying. He loves you cooking up an awesome feed at Christmas and eating in such a way that you're in pain. Don't do that every day because that might be getting close to gluttony, but... 
Feasting is a good thing. He actually loves that stuff. You know, with my kids, there's this very unique joy and privilege as a parent. And like Judson's sitting down there, um, hey Juddy, he's drawing and he's building, and he's awesome at drawing and building, like really awesome at it. Got a real passion for it. And there's such a joy and a privilege as a father to be able to sit down with him with his Lego and just enjoy what he's drawing. Now, secret, I don't love building Lego. (laughs) But I love it because he loves it. It does something special in your heart as a father. You know, Levi, my second oldest, he just loves talking about everything. He's got the most inquisitive mind. Just wants to understand absolutely everything. Now, there's times it gets tiring. Because I'm not omnipotent and omniscient. (laughs) But as a parent, there's this incredible joy just actually letting him ask his questions about, Dad, if a T-Rex versus a shark, who will win? And he answered that one, you're like, okay, okay. If a T-Rex versus an eagle, who will win? Because the eagle can fly away, and like poke him and then fly away. Like that's the sort of questions I get all day long with him. And as a parent, there's something really special with sitting in that conversation and letting him be him and just unravel the stuff that his mind finds interesting. So if us as earthly parents can be like that with our kids, how much more so our Father in heaven? Are you tracking with me? If the best of parents, if the best of fathers here on the earth can love like that, how much more so the one who is perfect in love? And the last one that I want to point out is that the Father loves spending time with you. He just loves, loves spending time with you. Now, whether it's you actually being with Him in the secret place, you know, whether you're kneeling, whether you're lying down on your bed, whether you're reading your Bible, He loves those moments of intimacy with you. But just as much, He loves riding the bus with you to work. And just as much, He loves it when you're out on the jetty fishing and you're talking to Him. He loves it just as much, that moment when you're working on that Excel spreadsheet at work, and you're looking at the numbers, and you just start talking to Him about it. You're like, this is just absolutely draining. (laughs) He loves it, because He loves spending time with you. If earthly fathers are like that, how much more so your Father in heaven? good news, isn't it? So Jesus came to show us what the Father is like, and He showed us that the Father loves us the exact same way that the Father loves Him. There is no distinction. You cannot make it less. You cannot make it more. You cannot change it. You cannot edit it. It's just the way He has loved you for all eternity, and it's going to be the way that He will love you for all eternity. So what do you need to do? Open up your heart to Him so that He can show you the depths of His love. You will spend all eternity delving into this incredible mystery. And the more you swim in it, the more you deep dive into it, the more you experience of it, 
the more it'll keep on changing your life. So open up your heart to Him. It doesn't mean that your pain is insignificant. It doesn't mean that the wounds that you've got don't matter. It doesn't mean that the, the horrific things you might have experienced growing up is something to overlook. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that He's able to heal it. That He's able to restore what's been broken. He's able to redeem these things. And the more you let Him in, the more He will. So the last thing I want to read for us is just John 17, verse 26, the same chapter. It says, I made your name known to them, so that is your character, and I will continue to make it known. So he's going to keep on revealing the Father's character to us. It says, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. So this, this uh, morning, I want to encourage you, as we're going to worship music team, if you can come on up, that would be great. Come on up. You can all please stand with me. Now, our lives are made up of a lot of mundane, general sort of stuff that we just move through and roll through. But there are also in our lives really defining moments that, that impact us for the rest of our, our journey. For me, one of those, one of those moments was um, when I snuck into a, a Planet Shakers conference. Um, I didn't pay for my ticket. I snuck into it. And Planet Shakers is like this big like, Christian conference for teenagers. And... Um, and I found a seat all the way in the, in the, in the back of the, of the auditorium. And, um, and I don't even remember who preached. I don't remember the song list. I don't remember what was going on. But I was there at the back um, of this big auditorium. And um, I just remember at one point singing a song about worthy is the lamb. That's all I can remember was in the words. Something to do with worthy is the lamb. And suddenly it was like the love of God hit me in a way that left me changed forever. I started sobbing as a 16-year-old, just uncontrollably. There was this, there was this Islander lady le- next to me that I didn't know who she was, but I ended up crying on her shoulder. <laughs> I was just sobbing my eyes out because I had this crazy encounter with the love of God. It was a defining moment for me that, that changed everything. Because I experienced His love for me in that moment. I had to make a decision whether I was going to open up my heart to Him whether I was going to just shut it off. Leave this for another moment. Leave this for another time. I want to encourage you here this morning that if you don't know the Father's love, and the Spirit of God is here today, and He wants to come and touch you. He wants to come and fill your heart with that sense of just how much He really loves you. You've got real wounds that you've been carrying, real pain and hurt that you have, things that you've experienced in life. I want to encourage you this morning, open up your heart to Him once again this morning and let Him come and let Him heal those things by reminding you of just how much He cares about you.
So, man, let's just, let's just take a moment to open up our hearts to Him. I'll pray for us, but first, I just want you to go before Him. So open up your heart to Him. Just as we're here in His presence, I'd love if you could just repeat a prayer after me. Father, I open my heart to You. I want to receive Your love. Heal my wounds. Take my pain. Renew my mind. I want to know You. I just feel like there are people here this morning that you've got questions. You're asking God, why did this happen? Where were you? How could you have done that? How could you have allowed this thing to take place in my life? It's not like God doesn't want your questions or He's intimidated by them. But I want you for a moment just to surrender the questions to Him. There's so much mystery in our lives, so much mystery of living in a broken, fallen world. But the one thing that's not a mystery is how much He loves you. It's not a mystery that He was willing to take your pain upon Himself at the cross. It's not a mystery that He was willing to take your judgment upon Himself. It's not a mystery that He wished that He could stand in your place and take every abusive word and take every blow. It's not a mystery. He wishes that He could have been neglected in your place.
So just let those questions go for a moment. If you're able to, even just from your heart, just tell him that you choose to trust him. And you choose to let his love heal you. after me again. Thank you for your love, Father. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you're kind and compassionate. Thank you that you see me and know me. Thank you that you delight in me. Thank you that I belong to you. I receive your love. Hold nothing back. Teach me more. In your name I pray. Amen.